Today we're joined by Chris Trudabar. He's from Hazeltine, the venue for this year's Ryder Cup. Also with me is Lee Strutt from the Royal Automobile Club. Chris, thank you very much for your time today. Appreciate you've got an awful lot going on out there. So uh, how are things coming along? Uh, really well, yeah. Uh, I would say just about everything we could ask for has uh, has kind of gone as we would expect so far. And, um, you know, knock on wood, that continues for the next uh, 55 days or so. The days are running away fast, I'm sure, for you. Yeah, you know, it's it's kind of, we're kind of in that... that um, that range where you go it's it's close it seems like it's coming it's coming fast and it, and the days are getting close but still you know it's almost two months which you know a lot can happen in two months too so okay if we can just start off looking a little bit about your career and your background that's led you to this role that's obviously i would imagine one of the biggest challenges so far in your career um where did you start out you started out through the, the university college system out there or so i ended up going to the university of minnesota here in minneapolis and um, environmental horticulture was the uh, the major that I had there. Worked through an internship at a, a club in, in St. Paul. Got an assistant job right out of school. Um, great learning experience. Um, sort of threw me into the deep end a little bit. I remember, uh, you know, I think you talk about challenge in career, and I think everything to this point, every part of my career has been a, a, an interesting challenge. And having that first job, the first time that I was really in charge of people and in charge of um, you know, making a group, a team um, sort of come together to manage a golf course, that was its own um, challenge. You know, if, if, you, if you look around the world and people think about golf and they think about Minnesota, Hazeltine is really sort of the place that they think about. And the opportunity to, to look at uh, going to a club like that was really uh, something that was hard to, hard to turn down. And you knew at that time that the Ryder Cup was coming, obviously. You know, and I tell people in all, in all truthfulness that uh, – whether or not the Ryder Cup was coming to Hazeltine, the job still would have interested me. But uh, you know, it certainly had added a different different element to it. Mentioning the Ryder Cup there, then Chris, uh, has it had much of an impact on the course yet and the membership yet in terms of the playing conditions there? Today is actually the first day that uh, that it's really going to start to have an impact on the membership, and they're going to play from um, beginning today when the first tee time. We've been closed for airification for two days, and the first tee time goes out at noon today. They're going to play from a a mat, a small mat, um, you know, over there, you, uh, golfers and turf people would probably be familiar with it in, uh, I know St. Andrews uses it. I'm, I'm sure there's some other places that are open in the winter that use them as well. And, uh, we're going to use them for the same reason, just to stop the, the divot, um, accumulation, I guess, and get the fairways to heal up so that by the time we do get to the end of September and we get to the Ryder cup that, uh, you know, fairways have essentially healed completely. How have you gone around um, identifying, you know, how many people you need and the machinery? And have there been any restrictions that, um, you know, mo most people probably think it's an open checkbook and off you go. So sure. how, how have you gone about um, identifying your needs? You know, that really goes back to, I remember sitting, um, sitting at home. I did not come over to uh, Glen Eagles for the Ryder Cup in 14, but I, I sat at home and I got up at, um, whatever hour it was that came on TV at home, my alarm went off and I got up and I sat there with my notebook. And I remember just thinking about, you know, looking at my watch and thinking about timing of matches and where different matches were at different times and starting to write down and jot down the ideas um, that would eventually become what we're going to implement uh, in, you know, in a few short days. Um, so that included, you know, how many people I thought we'd need, um, what types of equipment we'd need. Um, how to sort of set up the uh, the maintenance of the course and, and 
do it in the most efficient manner. So that really started um, September of, of 2014, about two years ago. You've got a staff normally of something like 45 through the peak summer period for you guys. And that grows substantially, I guess, for the Ryder Cup, including volunteers, which I think this chap yeah. is coming out to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, what impact is that going to have on your staffing numbers then? Yeah, so we're going to add about 100 people the week of the event. And uh, we have a few individuals like Lee and, and Steve Chappell from Glen Eagles who are going to come over um, actually the week before the event and just be here. I think it's, you know, in our sense, it's having extra help for, for the week before. In their sense, it's probably a little bit of that, but it's also just taking in as much as you, uh, as you possibly can, which, is, which I think is great. Um, so, yeah, it'll be 100 or so uh, extra volunteers that we'll have. So our numbers... Each morning when we hit the course, we'll be somewhere around uh, 120 to 125. Um, in addition to uh, individuals like Lee and Steve, we've got another 30 or so from around the world that will be helping us. And then uh, 60 to 70 individuals here from Minnesota that are part of the Minnesota Superintendents Association that will be here uh, helping us that week. So with the golf course coming online and we're getting closer to the, to the tournament, do you use any methods to assess the performance of the golf course? Or, I mean, how, how do you go about your weekly guide to making sure that the golf course is going to peak uh, for, the, for the week of the uh, event? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think there's a couple different ways that, uh, that I've looked at it. So one would be I've, I've taken the opportunity to visit a number of major championships over the last few years. I, I went to the PGA at Valhalla in Louisville in 2014. I went to the PGA at Whistling Straits in, um, in uh, Wisconsin last year. I was at the Masters this spring and then again at the U.S. Open in June. And, you know, getting to be there and to see the operations and to, in some cases, walk, uh, walk inside the ropes on those surfaces, that gives me a good visual of, you know, wh what does a course look like during a major championship? And, you know, what are the standards? What should it feel like? What should it look like? Um, what do you want it to be like? So that becomes sort of a, a, a gauge, you know, if you will, into how does Hazeltine look right now? How do we want it to look um, at that time? And so I use that. And then, um, you know, then it's just using what I've learned over the last uh, three plus years of, of managing this course and knowing what happens to it when we get to September, um, knowing what August is like. Um, knowing how long I think it takes a deal, a divot to heal, you know, that was part of putting into place this, uh, this idea of using the mats in August. And then we're going to be closed, uh, starting September six for three weeks, knowing that in September, we the growing conditions here in Minnesota are just spectacular. The soil temps are warm. The nights are cooler. The humidity is lower and, and the turf just, uh, just grows and heals and, and looks fantastic. Obviously we've mentioned Chris that the, the Ryder Cup is a, a huge event for both Hazeltine and yourself, it's going to bring different pressures to you, though, I'm sure. Have you had any help from the PGA in terms of perhaps media training or something like that? Not so much training, but they, they've got uh, the Ryder Cup office has a person on site who handles media relations. And um, most of the media requests that come in come in through him. And then I'll, I'll hear from him an email or phone call in regard to, hey, do you have time to do this interview? Um, and it, it's really worked out great because he really cuts it down to um, a pretty tight time frame and says, OK, we'll meet you here. We'll do it on this hole. And he gives them the background information. So when they show up, they just sort of have it. They know it and we can just do it uh, real quick. That's traditional media. Um, when we look at the whole social media phenomenon, which you can't kind of escape, 
uh, any of us these days. Um, you gave a, a talk, I think back in 2012 at the Golf Industry Show, to tweet or not to tweet. Do you think you're going to have a, a different opinion come the end of this, uh, this experience? Well, you know, my sister is uh, very involved in, in that sort of thing. She does community management for, um, for a company here in Minneapolis. And so the week of the event, she's actually going to be on site with me. Um, she's going to have my uh, access to my Twitter account and is going to do some work for, for it um, in, in that regard. And sort of what we talked, we actually had dinner on, on Saturday night and talked about uh, strategies for it. And, you know, what do, what do I want out of it? You know, what kind of information do I want to give out? Um, do we want to do a Q&A at some point during the day? And I think that's the kind of stuff we're looking at is, uh, you know, I was one of the first people to, as a golf course superintendent, to use it on a regular basis. And so I think that this event, if done right, gives the opportunity to sort of, you know, blaze another trail in that regard and, and um, you know, tell our story our side of, of what's going on and tell, you know, what the maintenance of the course is like to people who maybe don't know or people who in the, in the industry who just have an interest in it. Um, so we're going to try to do that. Uh, both, you know, sort of a live um, running commentary on, on how we're getting the course ready and what we're doing to do that. And then maybe sit down during the afternoon and, and take on some questions that, uh, that have come in and, and, you know, see what we can see if we can give people some good information about what's going on. Obviously, this has been a really long journey for you, um, you know, since coming to Hazeltine. The whole build-up, you know, we we're talking about identifying what machinery you need, what volunteers, you know, how you guys are going to work, how they think, how they're going to feel, pleasing the club. It, it, you know, it must be an extremely demanding position. How do you at any point try to switch off without obviously burning out? Going into this whole thing, I've, I've looked at it and wanted to try to keep things as normal as possible. Maybe things wouldn't be normal for myself, um, you know, within my head and the information being processed on a daily basis and that sort of thing. But what I wanted was for anybody that I come into contact with, you know, whether it be our staff or my family, my wife and my our two girls, and, you know, hopefully my family members, that things, you know, are somewhat as normal as possible. You know, from a personal standpoint, I, you know, it's a little bit like a uh, golf season, especially this one, is a little bit like the way that turf responds to stress. So, you know, in Minnesota, the turf comes out of the winter. It's raring to go. It jumps out of the ground. It grows like crazy. And it can handle some stress. You know, you get a 90-degree day in May. It, it dries out in May. No problem. The turf can handle it. But as you go through the summer, the days get longer. The stress becomes greater. It uh, compounds on itself. And pretty soon, by the end of August or middle of August, it doesn't handle the stress quite so well. And I think that that's kind of, I'm seeing that with myself a little bit, just more tired. You know, I'm, I'm having a tough time making it past 8.30 at night. I, uh, and in fact, our, our eight-year-old came in the other night um, um, to give me a kiss goodnight, and I was already in bed sleeping. So, Chris, you're in your fourth year at the course now. Um, the championship course, I think, designed just over 50 years ago by Robert Trent Jones and then remodeled slightly by his son, I believe, sometime in the 80s. Yeah, exactly. As a greenkeeper or superintendent, have you put your stamp, your mark on the course so far? And, and are you still trying to do that? Is that something that's on your agenda? You know, I feel like I had two years to really learn the course. And then the next two years now, the third and the fourth year have been sort of about preparing for the event. But even in that sense, it's, it's looking at, you know, I'm, I'm always sort of thinking about what, you know, what's next, what's coming um, after this. 
you know, and I think one way to avoid the potential hangover is to sort of throw yourself into continuing to make the course better. What do you think your best bit of advice has been so far on this journey? I got a great piece. I did I did a, a podcast, a video podcast with um, John Kaminsky from Penn and Tom Watchkey from Penn State. And um, at the end of it, um, Tom Watchkey, who was really helpful to Curtis at, uh, at Medina in 2012, um, gave... Uh, what I thought was a great piece of advice. And he said, you know, it, it's going to be tempting. You're going to be tempted to sort of change a lot of the things you do um, because you have this big event. And, you know, that could be anything. That could be your turf management philosophy, the products you use, the way that you go about your day. And he said, you know, you 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 get to a place and you, you've you got a great job and you, you're at a great course and you you produce a great result. He said, don't don't go changing ex- what you're doing or what you've done to get you, get the results that you've gotten just because you have a big event coming. So I think that's been something that sort of stuck with me. And, and again, it gets to that point that I made earlier of trying to just keep things as normal as possible. What's going to make it a successful event for you? Result aside, what, what do you want at the end of it? What makes it great? I think there's three things that are going to make, that make it great. You know, first of all is that everybody comes and, and, you know, everybody remains safe and, and, you know, whether it's work or whether it's other things that, uh, you know, everybody, uh, everybody comes, enjoys themselves and goes home in the same fashion as they came. Um, that's, that's the number one thing. And then I want, um, all those volunteers and the, and our staff to really enjoy it and just have fun. And we tell our staff that all the time. And we say, you know, we want their motivation to be that this is a fun place to work and it's a fun job and it's a, and you can have a lot of fun producing a wonderful result. And so that's what we'll tell our volunteers when they come in too, is like, this is what, this is the way we work as a staff. And this is what we want you to get out of this is to have fun and really enjoy this event. And then I think lastly, um, and and this won't, we won't have any real impact on this, but I hope it's a memorable Ryder cup, you know, whether it's result uh, goes to Europe or goes to the U S I hope it's something that people will remember for years to come. Brilliant. Well, we hope it is too. Chris, thank you so much for your time. Um, been a real education and an honor for us and uh, we hope to catch up with you soon after the yeah. event and see if you're still smiling and you've got gray hair by then. <laughs> <laughs>